Hello, I'm Simon Bose. Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast. Now, uh, you may be aware that uh, Chris Gidmore, the czar, the net zero czar, announced back in November that he was going to step down as an MP. No surprise there. But he's put out this week that he believes the government's position is very confused around net zero. And let's there's a certain phrase which ends with no ex-Sherlock that you can all fill in. It's true. The government is very confused. You've got all this ambition that set up, was set out by Boris uh, 2019, even last year. And then you've had the coal mine approval that's going through. You've had lots of shifts on what's happening. Rishi being dragged by his parliamentary party to try and back onshore wind. A confused picture on net zero. Is Labour any better? Well, perhaps, but you know, apart from Keir Starmer setting out that he wants to create UK Green Energy GB or wherever he wants to call it, and that he wants to be greener than everyone, there isn't actually cohesive policy. Mr Skidmore, and you'll read it all on Future Net Zero this week, has been saying that this is the stuff that needs to be sorted. And when he quits as an MP at the next election, he will be concentrating on that. Well, I think it's kind of clear that we are politically in a, a bit of a turgid time. And inaction on net zero by government doesn't have to mean inaction by businesses. So whatever's going on there, you need to carry on. And if you look at some of the other stories that have been happening over the last uh, week or so on both platforms, you will see businesses taking action and looking at their uh, footprints, looking at what they're doing, trying to make changes. But is it enough? Well, I'd like to hear your views on what you think uh, has been going on in your organisation or lack of. So make sure you get in touch. Net Hero at futurenetzero.com. Today's podcast is about the state we're in, actually. And is it as bad as we think when it comes to the markets? Now, if you remember back uh, not even that long ago, probably the start of the winter, everyone was expecting us to have terrible uh, crisis in terms of energy supply, blackouts, huge price rises, and basically Armageddon. Now, here we are in February, the sun's shining today. Uh, as I'm recording this, the weather is picking up and spring is definitely in the air. But let's be honest, we've actually had quite a mild winter, apart from that snow flurry just at the beginning of the year. So it was uh, my time to have a think back of why we thought this winter would be so terrible. Has it actually been that bad? What have we done right? What have we done wrong? You look at all the things that has gone on in terms of the recent kind of National Grid Balancing Act where we've been paid to switch off our energy. You look at all the changes that have been going on in terms of kind of improving storage. Also, the grid operator sort of saying it may have to turn to coal just to make sure that we don't have any blackouts. Even this week, they're talking about warming up a couple of uh, coal-fired power stations in case they're needed. So... Is it the case that the winter has been better or worse? Is it the case that we've planned uh, well for it or we've just been fortuitous because of the weather? And what is the actual state of how the markets have seen it all? That was the conversation I had with a friend of uh, Future Net Zero and an old colleague as well, 
Wayne Mitchell. I'm delighted to say an old mucker, an old friend, and now an energy consulting expert, Wayne Mitchell joins me today. Hello, Wayne. Hello, Sumit. Nice to speak to you again. It's been a while. It's been a while, dear boy. Now, for people who don't know you, you've had a long career in every kind of energy company going. Joe, just give them a little potted history to our listeners about your background in the energy sector. I will, yeah. So I, I've worked in the energy retail end of things, a bit of time in consulting at the at the start of my career. But uh, yeah, in energy retail for the for the thick end of, I think, 20 years uh, with the likes of British Energy and Empower and, and latterly E.ON. So uh, yes, I... I exited E.ON uh, at uh, the end of August last year, and I've been working independently ever since and taking a keen and close interest. You know, there's never been a time as volatile as the times that we've been in in the last 12 months. And yeah, so I, I think to, to do the role that I now do and to work with the people that I work with, you have to stay in touch and listen hard because there is just so much going on. And, and you also have to try and extract the noise from the reality as well so that's what i've been doing for the last six months or so and that's the thing isn't it mate i mean the the noise from the reality let's let's go back and you know i know people who, who read your stuff that you post on social media will, will say you were looking at the analysis of um sort of the winter and if you go back to kind of late uh september october it was looking pretty pretty gloomy wasn't it i mean i always thought that we wouldn't get to blackouts but let's be honest i don't think many people in the industry could say we guarantee no blackouts well do you know you say that and i think so i'm trying to think back to when i first wrote about the situation because i was seeing all this noise and news about blackouts and it was one of those subjects so i'd like to separate the fact from the fiction because it's pretty emotive stuff isn't it there is going to be absolutely, a blackout. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, it, oh yeah the newspaper that, headlines yeah absolutely blackout yeah, so, yeah so so i i took a, a longer harder look into it and and got involved in some stuff that's completely public and one of the things that i'd recommend if anyone wants to hear a bit more from the horse's mouth about um, what, what's going on, certainly from National Grid, is they run a thing called the Operational Transparency Forum every Wednesday, which is which is great. It's The doors are wide open, open to questions, lots and lots of detail. And if you, if you well, at the time when I started uh, going to those sessions, you, they were really clear on exactly the actions that they would take through the winter to help us avoid blackouts. And, you know, it only took me probably one of those sessions to think, you know, we are... We are a hundred steps away from from a blackout. Um, so, it, and it's a shame because there's so much good work going on around the industry, including oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, including the demand flexibility scheme um, that that help keep us on the right side of the line. So, so yeah, back then in October, all, all this noise. But even then, for me, with a little bit of rudimentary research, you could see that we were a very, very long way from a blackout. I think this is the thing that we we probably, you know, have the, the nature of social media and the what the nature of news now. What it is is that people just like things, don't they? They see something, sometimes they say, oh, EV's a good like, yeah? Or uh, let's yeah. more more plants like. And no one looks in, in depth into what this is all about. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but I just think the questioning is not there. And so there are headlines saying, we're all heading for a blackout crisis. You stick on any kind of expert. And I, I went on, you know, LBC in a few places and I said, hang on a second. 
it isn't as scary as you think, but people don't like that message. And I yeah. that's, that's a, quite a weird thing that the energy industry, you know, you've been it a lot longer than me. I've been it for now, what, 13 years. And I've always said, and I said to you, Wayne, it doesn't stick up for itself enough to say, actually, we do a bloody damn good job. You know, it's, yeah. it's stable yeah. power. It's always there. It's actually very affordable, even with the price acts we have not right now, compared to what we pay for other things. If you look at it, the amount of, of kind of stability that enables that, society to function you really don't pay a lot in this country but there seems to be a reticence and i wonder why wayne for the industry itself to speak up so when there's all that going on a black black they just mm, mm, they don't go no they won't yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it so if i think back to my time in in corporate businesses would we speak up on certain things yes on certain things and no on others and i think some of it is because there are the industry is beset by some problems so more in i think in the retail end where you've got lots and lots of issues around billing and collections and prepayment meters and all sorts of stuff that that goes wrong so i think the industry has generally got a bit shy about about you know being aggressive and being on the front foot and, and defending the the position because there's always someone there ready to knock you down again but I think in this circumstance, we, we should be on the front foot. And, and I, it's hard because you have to get into the detail to describe to people why there aren't going to be blackouts. So, I mean, if just very quickly, if I recap where, where we're at. So we're now, where are we? We're at the end of January. We've had two very cold snaps, one in yeah. December, one in, yeah. one in January. Yeah. We've still not had a blackout, which is no. which is great. What What have we had? I think we've had... In fact, I'm going to step back and I'm going to talk about the actions that, that GRID can take and then we'll come on to what they've done. So bear in mind, when we have any prospect of tightness or, or lack of margin on the transmission network, National GRID have a variety of actions that they take every single day. And that's what they do day in, day out, and they, they're maintaining the, the security of supply to everyone, homes and businesses. Beyond that, they then have a, a range of what they call enhanced actions which they only use if they really have to. And then when you get beyond that, they've then got further actions. They've got the demand flexibility service. And then you mentioned it earlier. They, we, we've uh, retained some coal generation, generating yeah. capacity yeah. this winter. But in the very worst case scenario, they'll, they'll stand that up. So, so what, have we, what have they done and what have we done so far this winter? Well, those coal stations have been asked to warm twice. The warming process is the run-up to actually being um, dispatched and asked to run. But actually, yeah, actually they haven't been asked. Can, can you help me out, mate? Can you explain that? Because obviously, you know, you've, you've worked, NPower certainly had coal power stations when you were there. I mean, what, what is that warming up process? Because you see this and people go, I don't know, What's it? is it like you warm up your car before you get in? I don't, what, what is a warming up for a coal plant? Uh, well, not dissimilar. Yeah, I, listen, I'm not a, a generating engineer, but that's effectively it. That you can't you can't turn on a coal plant at the you know the flick of a switch the same yeah. as you can with with other technologies. So gas yeah. is much much more flexible, um, but coal you have to you literally have to warm the station so that it can then run and you know, run effectively and efficiently, and so that it doesn't 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 break. So yeah, that's effectively so a, it. A, a giant barbecue basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. So um, yeah, so, yeah. So, so you're right. Those those have been put on standby, but they didn't. You know, we haven't. Luckily, we haven't used it. But part of that, Wayne, is because 
of this demand flexibility. People have said, actually, that helped not having to tap into coal, which none of us yeah. want to do. Yeah, and, and, and bear in mind, the demand flexibility service, that has only been called upon formally in the last few days. Uh, there, there were two previous days where it was where it was called upon, but that was that was part of a, a scheduled group of tests to to test that the scheme actually worked for the participants of the scheme. So, yeah, given all of the 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 woe and doom and gloom at the start of winter, we're actually in a pretty good place. The other, the other thing, of course, that has happened is that we have, I think, generally because of where energy prices have got to, people have become much more not energy efficient, but they have reduced the amount of energy that they use, both domestically and in businesses, just to try and avoid cost. But we've also, as a as a nation, um, managed to source energy from alternative sources. So LNG, for example, coming into the, coming into the UK and into Europe. Um, but also, although we've had these cold snaps, it's actually been a really mild winter. So we haven't dipped into yes, our gas storage. Uh, yeah. capacity anywhere near where we'd expect and actually we've managed to keep it topped up so and that actually is a is um is positive as we go through the rest of the year and next winter is that we could be entering next winter with completely full gas storage not only in the uk but around in, in europe so don't get me wrong there were some things that were uncertain you, you never know where where the the temperature is going to go which is the main driver of gas consumption um uh, and you know a forecast is only so reliable as you go ahead in time but we've been we've been fortunate and uh and, and temperatures have been very mild where do you see um you know whether sometimes when you're in it you don't see it but now you're slightly removed from it although you're still involved in the industry mm. what do you say what would you say the state of our our energy and kind of you know our sustainability well let's let's talk about energy but specifically our energy sector because if we're really honest, net zero basically means energy, right? Eventually, yeah. if you yeah. took out all the use of energy, had no emissions, then kind of we're there, right? But obviously, we've got other elements of it. We've got to look at the, the polluting elements and all of those are very important. But if you sit now where you do when you, you're slightly removed from it, what would you say the state of our sector is? Because many would say, you know, I go back to when I first met you, Wayne, it was about the energy trilemma, and that seemed to have gone away. Then the net zero came, and then suddenly it was like, oh, energy security because of what's happened in Ukraine. And then people are talking about, well, actually, did we make a big mistake by not having enough nuclear? Or why did we close down rough storage and now we've had to reopen it? Mm. Policies mm. were wrong. How would you how would you sum up where we are now? Yeah, I, I think overall, if I'm if I were to sum up my my time in the business so far and where we are now is there's certainly not been enough strategic thinking about energy as a national resource. So things like... What you mean from government or from the energy sector? Well, from uh, from from government and, and probably both, but then the end, the private energy sector will only respond to the incentives and the mechanisms that are put in place and the yeah. the kind of the clear run at things that they're given. So things like nuclear power, I find it deeply frustrating that that strong, reliable, um, non-polluting nuclear power hasn't been prioritised more and the the energy business has been given more ability to run it hard. So, yeah, I, I know there are, um, you know, you've got what's going on over at Hickley Point and then also the, the what's proposed at Sizewell. Um, but we should have been here years ago. 
in, yes. in my opinion. So, you know, get to get to where we are now and we wouldn't be scratching around thinking about where do we buy our next shipment of gas from and how are we going to last through this winter if we had, if nuclear power had been prioritised. Um, I think we've done exceptionally well in, in renewables. Um, you know, and that's evidenced, I guess, by the fact that you know, we've had some of the highest days of renewable generation in history uh, within the, 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 the last month. So I think in that regard, I'm, I'm frustrated that we haven't been more strategic. I think now that I'm outside of it, I find the supply sector, um, is it frustrating? Is it, It's not incapable by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> it's frustrating but, for a lot of consumers. <laughs> but it, it, it is frustrating. And I think some of the things that have caused the most frustration, and I, I've, I've really hated seeing, is business poorly run businesses that have mm. entered the market and then exited the market. Oh, yeah. So those those that have gone through the supplier of last resort process, yes. some of them, it's unfortunate, uh, and they, they got caught out. Some of them were just exceptionally badly run businesses, but this drive to get competition into the market was at the expense of them being robust businesses. Yeah. So what then happens is the customer has to go through all this disruption, yeah. and then the industry puts the bill. And, and even more galling is is things like the, the mutualization of uh, renewables obligation. So some of these businesses that were in the supply sector used money they'd collected from their customers to fund their business. And then when they went pop, they couldn't pay or they went pop because they couldn't pay their renewables obligation bill. Uh, and then that was mutualized around the industry. So we ended up paying again. So it, it, that kind of structure of the the industry yes i get that competition is a good thing but competition at the expense of good quality businesses entering the market is not a good thing at all and I, that's something that now i can i can speak more freely about that now that you know previously you see it happen and you just have to suck it up and take it whereas now yeah, no, it, I mean, it's appalling yeah i mean you look at it and you know we've done the whole stuff about kind of you know what what happened you know there was a uh, a dispatches last year. Ofgem is culpable. The government is culpable. And yes, look at Bulb. is a pure example. You know, we're all fitting yeah. the for billions for Bulb, even though they've just been sort of taken over what's left of it by Octopus. But if you look at the the strategy for for net zero, Wayne, you know, at the end of the day, you've now got a bit of a kind of I wouldn't say a schism, but there's these, there's these two factions of thought, which is, you know, the way to do it is um, it's it's go small and get big. So basically, it's all about mass movement, you know, the whole XR thing. Let's stop oil and gas. Let's get rid of all the big energy companies. Let's go to kind of regional energy and local generation and all of that, which is great. And the other idea is actually you still need all these big. Where would you be without these big energy companies? And if they don't do the heavy lifting and transition, then it makes no difference. My personal view is probably a bit of both is needed. But reality is we cannot get away from the fact that there's a real almost, uh, I feel for the government in one way, which is quite weird for me to say this, but they kind of have to look at a narrative which seems to suggest everything big and, you know, traditional energy is bad, when the reality is not the case. Yeah, I I, I think... It throughout my whole working life and personal life, I think everything 
everything that you do and everything you participate in and every decision you take has got to be all about balance. And it's the same here that just saying, right, that's it, cut off oil and gas and that's it, that's the end. We, you can't do that. But you, you can have a transition, you can have a tail. And that's what we're going through, this energy transition now. It's, you know, it's the word that everyone uses and a transition doesn't happen overnight. A transition happens over you know, potentially decades Equally, as new technologies develop, I mean, something else that, that somewhat frustrates me, and I, I don't want to turn this into the why is Wayne frustrated podcast. I, I, I it, quite but, like that. That's a good one. Right. Idea, okay. <laughs> uh, it is, is the focus on hydrogen. So, so hydrogen absolutely has a part to play as we go forward through through the, the coming years and, and decades. Absolutely it does. But it, it also has its limitations. But you, you, I find that people end up either on one side or the other. It's, uh, hydrogen is amazing; it's the next big thing, and we're going to focus all our time on it. Or people completely denying that it's part of part of the solution. Well, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, isn't it? That there might be some localized hydrogen networks and and ways in which it's used in certain technologies and certain industries. But it doesn't feel like it's going to completely replace natural the natural gas. Um, network, you know, I just can't see that happening. Certainly not any time in the near future, anyway. But but the answer is somewhere in between, and we've already got examples where natural gas uh, or hydrogen is being blended with natural gas and being yep. used. And, and yep. yes, there'll be ways that it, it happens, but it, it isn't just one answer. And I think the industry as a whole, there won't be one answer. E- equally, you, you look at this winter, there were. Um, we were, as a nation, uh, you know, National Grid were criticised for standing up or, or, or retaining coal generation for the winter. Mm. Well, that's appalling. It goes completely against all, yeah, of, our, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. all of our aspirations. Absolutely. Yeah. I get it, but they're stood there. They are our, they're, they're like our wicketkeeper. You know, they're, they're there, stood up, waiting in case the worst comes to the worst. And we haven't used them. We've warned them twice. So, yeah, everything is about balance and everything is about transitioning in a managed way. And, of course, the decision isn't a, uh, a binary one. It's not do we do we want carbon generation, generation or non-carbon generation. It's, well, as we travel towards renewable generation, we're going to have to accept that we will have to wind down slowly and accept that some some gener- or traditional thermal generation is still going to be required for a period of time. You're working with lots of different companies now. You're working with startups and in the digital digital space. The last week's podcast was all about digital being the forefront of kind of net zero. And that's another space, isn't it? As things become, you know, I'm definitely an analog man. I think you're sort of in between, Wayne. But if you look back, you know, a meter was a meter, right? Now it's smart. A fridge was something you put food in to keep cold. Now it can tell you when it's empty or it needs this. You know, yeah. your Hoover can tell you it needs a bag changing. I mean, all these crazy things are happening. And that flipping Alexa thing, which I can't stand, but everyone uses to talk to. Turn, you know, I don't know, you can't just turn on the telly. This is my own old, old man <laughs> rant. Just go and turn on the telly. Why do you need things? To... Anyway, the point is, you're working with these kind of uh, startups and things. Where do you see the digital role in this? Because a lot of people said that that's another part of where this is, which is, you know, yes, we need to cut back as individuals and businesses. Secondary, we need the infrastructure built by big energy companies. But this other part is this kind of enabler of, of digital to kind of monitor and use and gauge what we're doing, make things run more efficiently. Where do you see all of that? Yeah, well, you're right. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I'm, 
absolutely use of, di- of of data and digital is absolutely essential to the industry both homes and businesses as we travel forward through time absolutely 100% the thing i'm not a fan of is digital for digital's sake so yeah I, i've got a washing machine personally that can send me alerts when when it's finished i simply don't need that you know it just happened to come with that functionality equally you know in in business there can be lots of information that's completely superfluous to actually running a good business but getting data about the energy that's flowing through your meter how it's consumed in your home or your business um whether whether equipment in your in your business is working at its maximum efficiency or is broken or has got some kind of losses somewhere absolutely essential to helping us become more energy efficient and to stay energy efficient and also i mean the, the big thing that that we should always be looking at where, wherever we are is elimination of waste there's so much waste yes. energy if digitization can help us remove that waste that's the that's the the best energy that you can save because it's not actually doing any useful work so it absolutely 100% has um, has a place i think the businesses that spring up in the digital space they they will need to make sure that what they're doing is truly useful and also that it integrates with the industry that's there that it it's not a respect thing it's just a, a an acceptance that we have an industry that runs in a certain way and data flows around the industry and if you want to be part of that system part of that network you have to dovetail with it somehow and if you're going to layer something over the top it has to do something really useful for the for the client if it doesn't then you know these these businesses will come and go but for me I'm 100% digital is the way to go but not for the sake of it you got kids, right? How old are your kids? I have nine and twelve. I've got an older one, and I've got a little one. The little one is only four, so discounting. But your kids are at, probably at the prime age where they watch Greta, they see the stuff people talk about. And again, I think we we create things that shouldn't be there, and problems that people talk about eco guilt and worry, and many teenagers, you know, surveys teenagers are nervous about this. I want to park all that, but there is something which is young people, it's their world, right? It's not ours, yep. it's their world. So what do you say when your kids say, Dad, we're not doing this enough? Or I don't know how they interact with you, but most kids I, I, I can tell do want to know a bit about the climate. And they would come back with the idea that, you know, we're old because we're thinking that we need time to transition. And they're thinking, let's not be old, let's be bold. Let's just get rid of it all. So when your kids say, well, why haven't we got rid of oil and gas? And why don't we do this? And, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Um, a, I don't know if they do, but how, how do you answer that sort of stuff? Yeah, we're, well, I'd say we're, we're not quite yeah, that, there yet with my children. But one thing I would say is that I think because of what they're exposed to these days, you yeah. know, they feel they are so much more connected with things that are going on around the world than I was when I was there their age a lot of it is nonsense don't get me wrong that they're watching on tiktok which i wish they weren't engaged with but they, they do have very inquiring minds i think we can probably expose our children to more of what's going on and explain more of it to them so that they have more of a part in it when their time comes um yeah i, I what's the word i'd use i'd use the word worldly you know they're not worldly necessary but they've got access to an awful lot of information on which to form opinions and i think we shouldn't be scared about sharing more with our children at a younger age about what is going on um in what are some quite complex industries but trying to explain to them and get them introduced to it 
Um, and you do you do see through schools there's much more interest in in and focus on STEM subjects. Yes, but I think I, I, get I think it. I think we could do more. No, no, but well, I suppose and and all of that I agree with. But the point I'm trying to make out is, you, you know, there's this groundswell. You know, the younger people that work in our office, that that kind of we're not doing enough now. And if you've seen what happened with Davos and all of that, you know, mm -hmm. the old classic, you know, blah blah blah, the stuff that's come out of the last cop and the one in Glasgow the year before, all good intention, but not enough movement. And I've been critical of that. But it is difficult, isn't it? Because you've got to take the world with you. And just this week, yeah. I've done the story saying that because of Bangladesh's lack of investment in renewables, it's actually looking at coal because it's got to keep the lights on. Pakistan had a complete shutdown of its grid for, for a day uh, for millions of people because of its problems with you know the frequency of uh, of, of, of the energy. So we can't just sit here and say, let's do it all tomorrow. But also, equally, there isn't that much time to start making a real difference. So I, I wonder where you sit on, on that when, when, when you get that challenge from younger people. Yeah, well, I mean, they are the facts, aren't they? That is what's happening. And, and I mean, going back, I, I, I wonder if energy for a long while was not, a sexy interesting in industry to get into right so yeah. I, I i wonder if we've had a a lack of the right kind of talent coming through but actually i think we now have a huge amount of talent coming through because there's so much interest in the renewable space so i think you've got some really talented uh, business people engineers technologists scientists data digital people all coming into the industry because it's interesting and they want to do it so i think what what we need to do is to make sure that all businesses, big or small, and government need to have those kind of people coming through and into them so that they are the future and they're the ones making the making the decisions. And you're right, trying to take the world with them. I think in a lot of the big businesses, they just don't move as quickly as we would need them to. And, and actually, for the, for the kind of people that want to work in a very agile, modern way, I think that a big, a big traditional corporate business could be quite a frustrating place to be. And they then vote with their feet. You know, I, I've seen over the years in different businesses, lots of very talented people get made better offers and exit and go and do other things. And I think we've got to do a better job of keeping the right talent in the industry to make sure, you know, we then have them to to grow the business, change the business, make the energy transition. But I, I think at the moment, especially the, the larger businesses aren't managing to do that. Before we go, let's talk about where we are now moving forward. This year, you know, it's is, is a big year, I think, because we're looking at all the targets that the government is pushing forward, um, particularly for 2030, you know, and that's now only seven years away, which is quite weird. Yeah. Scary. Um, you know, we've had probably the shock of COVID led into the war in Ukraine, but actually the one positive thing I think like you mentioned earlier now everyone is aware of energy right in a way that won't yep. businesses that we talk to are now certainly much more conscious of what to do and wanting to take positive steps because in a way it's that classic thing you don't go looking for food until you're starving you know we haven't worried about energy security until this last year and now suddenly people think oh actually maybe if I use less if I turn off the circuits if I you know, make sure that when my uh, office staff go, we don't have lights on or we, we're using energy more efficiently. Uh, where am I getting it from? Could I stick up solar panels? In a way, I, I, 
I, I, I'm putting away, you know, what's gone on on the human cost, which I shouldn't, but I just want to just park that for a second. If you look at it, would you say that now, when you talk to businesses, compared to even just, I don't know, two, three years ago, there's a much greater awareness of their role in cutting back? Yeah, absolutely, Simon. You, you, you're right. And, and you, know, you park the human side of it, but what, what has happened, is this has really prompt or prompted and pushed the energy up the agenda onto the front pages of newspapers as we've talked about you know sometimes in not a wonderfully positive way and, and not not based on the full facts but yes you're right every every business every interaction i have with someone outside the industry they even if they haven't got an opinion they've got a question they want to know they've got they're inquiring uh, about what's going on they're, they're seeking to understand which is positive and they and they should and also i think but the the pure um the the pure increase in cost has pushed businesses to think more carefully about how they can be more efficient. And, and also in pure commercial terms, it's it's improved the, the return on investment of, of energy efficiency investments that they might make. So that's changed as well. So in a, in a way, it's everything that's happened has been positive because it's driving us to take action faster. And I guess if you look back through history, every time there's been a, it's been a big change, of this this kind of change that we're seeing now, it's been prompted or pushed by something, either a development in technology or a crash or a shock or something that has pushed the market and, and the individuals and businesses in that market to act either more responsibly or take different actions or to do something differently or to transition to a new way of working. And that's, I think, ultimately, we will look back on this time, yeah. human cost aside, and say, actually, it was a, it was a, it was a very important turning point for the industry yes. uh, in the energy transi- transition overall. Let's end with being positive. I mean, I think it's going to be a good year. We've got, you, you'll be there at our Big Zero show in June, which is brilliant. We're going to try and get more and more businesses involved and get people trying to take some action. You're working out there and you're, you're looking and you're talking to people about it. I, I feel we will. You know, there are certain things that can happen. And as you said, sometimes it's, it's jumps that happen, you you know, you stagger along for a long time and then suddenly there's a jump uh, to, to move us forward. Um, do you feel positive about things for your, your kids' future? Do you feel positive about us, you know, reducing and making the planet better in the next kind of couple of decades? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. And, you know, the, the stuff that we talked about right up front was, was about frustration with there being a lack of facts that are out there in the marketplace. And I think when you look at the facts, you know, as an industry, through the pandemic, a sterling job of keeping the lights on and, and doing everything that needed to be done. Then through this wholesale price shock, well, I think actually, yes, we're still feeling the pain of it in our in our domestic and business energy bills, but actually we've kept the lights on and prices are have come back down again because we've managed the situation. And over time, as, as those high-price contracts get flushed out and we'll come back to a more stable price don't get me wrong it's still going to be a lot higher than the benign market conditions we had you know less than three years ago yeah but but i i think i think things are looking positive because the interest in the market is attracting the right kind of talent we're attracting the right kind of businesses to to participate in the market i think we've seen some of the bad actors and the poor poorly run businesses exit the market so actually, I, I think things are are looking good, and the incentives that are in place and the 
um, the targets that are in place, we're, we are getting there. So if we're talking you know, next year, would we be able to see huge differences by next year? No, but when we're talking five years, 10 years, two decades, absolutely we're on the right path. And, and you know, I would evidence that, as we said earlier, that we, we've seen the, the highest generation days from renewables that we've ever seen. So clearly we have followed that path and we are on that right path and, and the evidence is there for us to see. It's a good point to end. Wayne, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. And um, I know you're out and about meeting people and talking to people. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to to get your, your pearls of wisdom? They can contact me uh, on my email address, which is wayne.mitchell at dallington.energy, uh, or they can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the place to go. Well, I'll, I'll share that link anyway. Thanks very much, mate. As ever, a pleasure to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Sumit. Do get in touch with Wayne. He's got lots to say and a really good source of getting information out there. He's he's at the sharp end of business and uh, we really like uh, the stuff that he's, he's up to. Uh, get in touch with me. Tell me what you think uh, about your feelings around where we've been this winter and looking forward to what you will be doing, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, for your company around its net zero ambition. And to help you with that, don't forget the Big Zero Show coming up on the 20th of June. Delighted to announce another speaker. We have got Patricia Thornley, professor from Aston University, who will be talking all about biomass. We've got the president of the Energy Institute Juliet Davenport, for, who founded, of course, Good Energy, talking about why your business needs to be green and will be announcing some big names soon. So you can register now, go to thebigzeroshow.com or go to futurenetzero.com and you can sign up for your free ticket to come on the 20th of June. Until next week, catch you soon. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.